there's something about the pace of change and a, a looming sense of uncertainty that is is different in recent years, even different in the in the years that I've been doing this work. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Dr. Sherry Walling. And uh, well, I know you have, you have a long bio and a short bio on your on your site, and it's, uh, you're, you're quite accomplished. So, you know, the short, the Coles notes are your clinical psychologist, speaker, podcaster, author, and mental health advocate. Uh, you have a company, Zen Founder, and that's how I got to know you. Uh, you coach entrepreneurs, and I'm proud to say I'm one of them uh, in, you know, helping us deal with, you know, run the challenges of running a business and managing emotion and human performance. So and I know you, you've, you've got a new book, Touching Two Worlds on grief and loss. And, and then you have another book, which I've read. It's great. The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, which if you've been an entrepreneur, you know, is an underrated skill. Uh, and you have a Zen Founder podcast, which uh, has been called a must listen by Forbes, an entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm in awe. You've been downloaded more than a million times. So Thank you for agreeing to come on my less popular podcast and share your wisdom. Sherry, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. I'm so happy to be with you, Bart. I think that number more reflects that I've just been doing this a very long time. <laughs> um, and probably a certain subset of those downloads belong to my mother. So I just wanted to thank her for that number. <laughs> well, she's probably cheaper than hiring a marketing firm, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. We'll give we'll give a shout out to Mama Walling then. <laughs> so Sherry, the the reason you know I want to have you on, you know, speaking personally, I've gotten a lot out of working with you and really managing the emotions that come with leading in the time when I think not just entrepreneurs, but I know my clients who I work with are facing the challenges of massive and rapid transformation of their businesses, the marketplace. You know, everything from digital transformation to moving for, to hybrid work and then back office. I mean, everyone is just talking about the pace of change is rapid. And so what I want to have you on is first to get your perspective on what you're broadly seeing the challenges facing leaders are in this moment in time. And then secondly, to tap into some of the great advice you give. So maybe before I do that, though, I'll just, you know, I gave the Coles Notes background, but for those who haven't read your book, those who don't know you, tell tell me and tell the, my audience, how did you come to this work? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I, a, a little bit indirectly, uh, which I suppose is how most of us come into <laughs> our life. It, it doesn't always, we don't always know when we're 18 and bright and shiny and new and, and have a sense of exactly what it's going to look like. Uh, but for me, I, I trained as a clinical psychologist and I mostly worked in the trauma world. So with folks who had PTSD and usually people who had recently returned from combat zones, hmm. um, the 
I'm, I'm based in the U.S., so the, the conflicts that were happening uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq certainly produce a lot of folks who were struggling with their mental health as they were reintegrating into their civilian life. And so right at the beginning of my career, right as a very young psychologist, I was sort of in the trench. Well, in the trenches is not, is not really probably <laughs> what I should say in this particular context. But I was um, really in the stories of people who were who had had very high intensity experiences, who really cared about their job and their mission, and who were feeling a little bit stuck in how to manage their own stress and trauma history and still be the best version of themselves that they wanted to be. So as I was doing this work, I was married to a tech entrepreneur. My husband, Rob, has started and sold a couple of software companies over the many years of our 25-year relationship. And so the, the thing that became really interesting to me was hearing our entrepreneur friends experience some of the same challenges that my PTSD patients were experiencing. Hmm. Things like not being able to sleep, not being able to stop thinking about it, not being able to focus on time with their family, just this hmm. sense of a human who was really under a lot of pressure, but who also cared very much about the outcome of their work. Because hmm. so you, you would think I, that I those, talk- so, sorry to just jump in, I mean, on the surface, like these two realities seem very different, like the trauma of combat or being in a combat zone and running an entrepreneurial company like you wouldn't think that they would produce the same mental health outcomes if you take the trauma capital t like people shooting at you mm-hmm. piece out of the equation there's a very similar persona i mean generally people in the military are very mission driven mm-hmm. they are committed to using their abilities to bring out a very specific outcome for their team, for their unit, you know, for their mission. And entrepreneurs are somewhat similar in the sense that they are very mission driven. They are, they are birthing this little business baby and they want to see it grow and thrive and be protected. And there's a level of their own personal identity that they're putting into their work that I think is pretty similar to what it means to be a soldier. Like your identity is totally wrapped up with what you're doing in the field. Yeah, it makes sense. So maybe not the trauma exactly, but the identity and the sort of persona, um, hmm. is, you know, has some really similar features. You're seeing these same patterns play out uh, in your patients and your husband's world. W- where did you go from there? How did you, how did you make the switch to working with entrepreneurs? Yeah, there was. Um, A very specific moment that happened, uh, I think this was maybe 2017, I'll have to go back and look, but um, a young entrepreneur named Aaron Schwartz died by suicide. Hmm. And Aaron was one of the co-founders of Reddit. He was this sort of brilliant young guy out of MIT that was really making a lot of noise about the nature of technology. Um, So he was sort of on our radar. And so when he died, I think it made clear to me there needs to be more conversation about the pressure of entrepreneurship and the mental health needs of entrepreneurs. So I gave my first conference talk on that topic and people were like, whoa, we've never thought about this. Before. Hmm. This might've been 2015 actually. I have to, I'll have to go back and look. 
but then that became, oh, okay, I guess I'll do a podcast and I'll start talking about this and thinking about it and writing about it. And then it became my full-time vocation, gosh, about eight years ago when my family moved from California to Minnesota when my husband sold his company. And I had been working as an academic, you know, a, a professor and that, you know, that job didn't transport very well and I was right. ready to do something else. So that was the transition point. And, and 1 million, 1 million downloads, 500,000 from other people and 500,000 from your mom. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so, so now you're eight, you're eight years in, you've written books, you've spoken, you've given Ted talks, you've coached countless entrepreneurs and, and you know, we've been through three years of intensity, you know, and I can speak personally as an entrepreneur, the intensity of the last three years has been greater in terms of the pressures, the changes, the demands, and the, and, and also the opportunity. What are you seeing broadly from your clients and from leaders? Like what are they facing today? Uh, and how much of that is just par for the course for leaders and how much of that is heightened in this time? You know, I think where you begin our conversation is really astute that there's something about the pace of change and a, a looming sense of uncertainty that is, is different in recent years, even different in the, in the years that I've been doing this work. Um, I think things like AI, chat GPT, they're so disruptive and the implications that uh, exist for people's businesses is still sort of yet to be known, but people know it's going to matter. And coming out of the pandemic and the level of economic instability that many companies face, and then sort of this new round of recession, I, I think that leaders are uniquely challenged to really try to keep up with what's happening in a larger global context, and then also stay really attuned to what's happening within the details of their company. The demands on leaders' attention is, I think, different than it's been in the past. And then, of course, this just the instability that comes with a rapid pace of change. Yeah, and so I, I totally agree. You know, all, all of, I'm, I'm feeling the echoes myself of a lot of those things over the last couple of years. And you know, even when you look at big companies, I mean, you know, the word on the street is Google is you know just deeply existentially concerned about chat GPT and what it means for its dominance in search. I mean, when you have a, a company as dominant with the kind of monopoly on search that Google has worried, then, you know, it, it speaks to the unpredictability of the future that, that all of us face as leaders, whatever yeah. industry we're in. So, so what's the impact, like, how does the impact of this rapid change and instability and uncertainty manifest? Like for people listening who are leaders or managers what are some, you know, I'll call them symptoms. I don't know if that's the right word, but what are some of the things that you mm -hmm. observe in terms of the impacts on leaders that people should be thinking about whether or not they're, they're feeling them? Yeah, I think the places that these pressures can take it, have an impact on us in unhelpful ways are, of course, a sense of not being able to stop our thoughts, right? The sort of cycling through the what if, the worst case scenario planning, the what's the implication of this or that. Um, so not being able to kind of stop the rabbit trails that we're running down in our thought patterns. And very similar to that is maybe not being able to stop the rabbit trails that we run down on the internet at night. <laughs> when we're you know, but there's this 
desire to try to get out ahead of it or to at least stay informed and to outthink or plan or strategize around a set of information that's incomplete. Hmm. And that, of course, creates a significant amount of anxiety and can take over many, many moments of our day to the like detriment or cost of our family life, personal well-being, physical health, et cetera. Hmm. So if you're feeling, so that's, that's a critical thing to be aware of. Are you going down this, these spirals, these rabbit holes, and is it costing you the moments outside of work? Um, what, what else yeah. do you see? Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I know, sorry, I know you also are an expert, you know, and you talk about burnout, you know, you you have expertise in there and, and stress, like, are, is there anything there to, that you're seeing more of, or that people should kind of think about whether they're re- manifesting? Well, I think it's a little bit of a, a package deal for some <laughs> of us where we, you know, we see a potential problem, threat, source of instability. We want to be proactive. So we think about it, maybe worry about it. But we do that to a point where we're exhausting our brain. Our brains don't like working on the same problems over and over and over without new data or new variables. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that neurological exhaustion is what drives burnout. And then we have a whole sort of host of problems that, you know, burnout is exhaustion plus cynicism and detachment plus a lack of personal efficacy. So not being able to see the benefits or positive parts of your work. Hmm. And when we get that, trifecta of trouble going on, then we're often struggling to feel connected to the people in our lives and to feel that our work is meaningful and those kinds of things. And, and are you seeing, I don't know if there's any objective measure to this, but are these, you know, symptoms more common than they were three years ago before this pace of change and disruption accelerated? I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, on, from a, the researcher in me is that sort of says, these aren't things that we track super closely. I will say, I mean, in terms of just big metric, um, in the United States, which is the data I'm most familiar with, the suicide rate has gone up 30% in the last 30 years. So between, you know, so that's like very rapid change Mm -hmm. in our overall sense of well-being. We're certainly seeing a huge surge in mental health concerns among adolescents and children. And I know that's a little different than the focus of our conversation, but I see those things and I see them as like a a proxy indicator that like, oh, we're just not doing well as as a group. The parents aren't well, that means the kids aren't well. So I do think that there's something that has happened with the technological advancement that feels like it's getting away from us. Um, yeah, I certainly, I, that squares with what I anecdotally have seen. I mean, I've been coaching executives for over 20 years. And, you know, it used to be you felt like you had, you, it was predictable. You knew what you had to execute. My clients would say, this is what I have to do. Now it's people don't even know what the future holds. And, you know, in some of the most dominant industries, the, the thought that tomorrow the world could change. So, you know, I think we're all and you know, COVID obviously exacerbated the sense of uncertainty and desire for, for some sort of control over the future. So maybe you could, I know one of the reasons I came to you and one of the reasons that entrepreneurs come to you and people listen to your podcast is to get some strategies, you know, because 
we are in this this world. We as leaders do have to deal with uncertainty, disruption, lack of clarity. And there are ways to manage that, to manage yourself and your emotional self to perform and, and really embrace the opportunity. So what would you say the the first way when you work with people, the first strategy you provide people that you turn to to help them in this in this time? You know, there are two things that I think are really helpful in buffering us against the negative effects of this kind of change. And the first is really our internal capacity to feel calm in the midst of stress and to sort of settle into ourselves. <laughs> I mean, honestly, one of the, the most important predictors of high performers, whether that's people in the military or elite athletes, is the ability to think clearly under extraordinary pressure. And so when I work with entrepreneurs, one of the things that I, I'm thinking a lot about is how do we help you settle in despite all of the disruption around you? How do we help you settle in to your breath, to your body, to your brain that can be slowed down so that it's not moving a mile a minute, but is help is focused, is clear, is asking good questions. So it's an internal sort of centering, focusing, calming skill that I think is a really, really great starting place for most of us who do hard work. And so how do you do that? It takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's teaching people how to breathe. Sometimes it's encouraging people to have a meditation practice. Generally, I spend a lot of time helping people get really self-reflective about where they get off track and how to catch it early and then bring themselves back on track. Hmm. So when you talked about earlier that you you kind of get into down the rabbit hole or you get into the, the doom scrolling. So so let, let's imagine, okay, so you have someone comes to you and says, look, you know, the problem is every night I go on the internet and then, you know, I, I end up, you know, an hour and a half later, I'm still in bed and I'm scrolling and I, I feel worse about the world. I feel worse about, you know, I've just kind of like, gone into this dark hole, like what kind of advice would you give that person who keeps going back there? Like, and isn't even sure why they do. Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the first step in most of these problems is to start with empathy, right? Instead of like, shame on you, get your phone out of your bed, do something different, have a miracle morning. Don't you watch Tim Ferriss? Like that's, that's not helpful. I don't think. So I start with empathy. Like there's something in you that is longing to start your day with a little bit of like a security assessment. Mm -hmm. Where are my vulnerabilities? What, what's sort of shaken in the world that might impact me or my family or my business? And so first of all, we, we just don't, we don't get too upset about the pattern. We under, try to understand why it's happening. And then we empathetically say, okay, hey, there's a part of you that's seeking security. And you're starting your day seeking security. That's a reasonable thing for a human, for an entrepreneur to do. And so then we think, you know, what is this costing you? Why is this problematic? You feel miserable. You're spending a lot of time, um, maybe that could be spent in better ways, you know, doing this behavior that's not super productive for you. So how do we get the same need met? How do you do a little security check-in at some point in a way that's less problematic? And then we kind of problem solve that. 
it's probably not going to be starting the day with your phone as you're scrolling, but probably choosing a window of time. Maybe it's 12 to 1230 that you want to catch up on your news. Or maybe it's a certain source of news that you can get just in a 15-minute podcast. Or maybe, you know, we just sort of go through how do we find a strategy that meets the need without the negative consequence. Well, and I like I like what you say there about empathy, too, because I think there is that tendency to say, oh, you fool, you're doing this or stop doing this, right? Rather than getting to the the empathy around why it is that you're seeking that that security. So even practicing that self-empathy, I think is a really important starting point. And it makes it so much easier to reframe or choose a new thing when we're coming from a place of empathy rather than, rather than criticism. Um, yeah. So if that's the first step, kind of having, having these conversations with, you know, the voices in your head or to, to get out of these patterns, what would be the second strategy that you are providing leaders most frequently with now? Just to wrap up maybe that internal one, we think about empathy, then we think about some assessment. We kind of bring in the objective brain and we ask them questions about, again, how can I meet this need better? What's the worst case scenario? We, we help people have conversations with themselves that are a little bit more productive and a little less sort of drenched in anxiety. And then the third piece of that is, is really bringing folks back to gratitude, which I know sometimes can be a little, can feel a little smushy. Yeah. So what, like, what is gratitude? gratitude? Like how, how should we think, <laughs> how should we think about gratitude? Because, you know, if you're, let's say you're an entrepreneur who's struggling to make payroll or you're a VP of sales who has missed, missed numbers for a third consecutive quarter, you know, or you're an entrepreneur, you're a tech founder who realizes you have to lay off 20% of your workforce. It's hard to feel gratitude in those moments. Uh, How should those individuals be thinking or incorporating gratitude? Yeah, maybe it's a weird way to think about it, but I think about gratitude just as like collecting a fair sample of data, Hmm. right? I'm a former researcher. So when we look at the variables in our life, when we look at the different pieces of our life, we are, our brains are hyper attuned to negative. We're looking for the anger, the threat, the thing that's going to implode, going to blow up, going to be a problem. Right. Our brains are paying extra attention to that. It's a safety mechanism, right? It's not that we're all pessimists. It's that we are designed to keep ourselves going. And so gratitude is an invitation to also look at the other pieces of our life, not just the threats and the problems, but the things that are going well, our health, the love of our children, you know, our cuddly dog, the fact that even though we might need to lay some people off, we've got a couple really stellar team members who are just in it with us. You know, we look at the other pieces of life that are positive and that are gifts and that make us, you know, happy and satisfied. And that really then allows you to put in perspective what you're dealing with. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the full picture. It's a counterbalance. I think it's also, you know, a really helpful reminder that um, many of us, many of the folks are going to be listening to this podcast, despite no doubt a significant amount of challenge and adversity, like 
many of us live with a significant amount of privilege and grace and love and connection and meaning in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to keep that in, keep that top of mind, keep it close to us. Well, kind of calls to mind, you know, the person who is on the airplane, yeah, you know, I've been on the airplane. They're just, I was on a flight and someone was furious that the Wi-Fi wasn't working. And I was like, hold on, you know, we are literally like in a plane trap. It's almost like teleportation up in the air, you know, for next to nothing in today's dollars relative to where flights used to cost. And then this person's upset that the why that their ability to connect is not there. And like, it is that hedonistic treadmill, right? Where we, you know, we forget okay. how far we've come and what we have in that moment when one thing isn't right. So I love, I love this idea of the broader data set to really set it in context. You know, one of the things too, you mentioned that my, my newest book is about grief, which is sort of a weird topic for an entrepreneur psychologist. And it comes largely from my personal life, but it also flows from my practice of working with entrepreneurs who, you know, they put a lot on the table and they take a lot of risks and they, they lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Things don't work out. They lose a team member. They fail at a product launch. An acquisition doesn't go through. There's all kinds of losses in the life of a high performer. And helping people figure out how to be gentle with themselves around those experiences is important. Um, but it also, I think grief kind of reminds us how, how cool it is we get to play the game. Right. Like you, you don't have grief if you don't try, you don't have grief if you don't take a risk, you don't have grief if you don't love someone. Mm-hmm. And so even mm-hmm. though those experiences are not pleasant and the feelings that are associated with grief are not, something I want to choose every day all the time. They are the, they're the proxy of a really interesting, meaningful life. Yeah. I think that's well said. And the only way to avoid grief is to never set foot on the playing field. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so sure. We've talked about having these conversations with the voices in your head and going through that, practicing the empathy, practicing the analysis and then we've talked about practicing gratitude. Uh, what else are you working with entrepreneurs and leaders on now to help them be resilient in this time? You know, I think um, given the amount of uncertainty and the rapid rate of change that most entrepreneurs are holding, I really see this interesting return to a desire for strong, connected relationships. So whether that being part of an entrepreneur network, mm-hmm. uh, being in a co-working space where you see people regularly, even working with a coach, somebody like you, somebody like me, people are recognizing that they are unable to keep up with and make sense of the rapid change by themselves. And so I'm seeing more and more people really dive into professional relationships as a way of kind of buffering the change, right? I've got a friend who's an expert in AI. So every time there's an AI thing, I ask him and I'm like, what should I, what should I know? What should, what should I be worried about? I've got a friend who's an expert in cybersecurity. Um, you know, you, you kind of collect these people. And right. then of course, I'm the psychologist in the room with no super practical skills. So everyone wants to talk to you. Everyone wants to talk to you because they're all, they're all dealing with this. <laughs> So it's kind of cultivating, you got to cultivate then your own relationship network almost, it sounds like. Yeah, I think it kind of takes the village to 
keep track of all the things that are important. And do you advise people to go beyond their, like, I, I'm, in, I'm inferring from what you're saying, to, for people in companies, like, go beyond your company, like, get people who can help you who you don't work with? Or is it okay to have people you do work with? Oh, I'm sure it's helpful to have uh, those connected conversations with people you work with. I guess I'm thinking a lot about leaders, entrepreneurs, but sort of the people who are at the top within their companies. And their need to Mm -hmm. dial into their relationships with peers so that they are sort of like having other people on the lookout. Like, okay, I'll take the first round of watch, then you sleep, Mm. and then we're going to switch. So someone's always on the watch. Someone's on the watch. Paying attention. Yeah. And I know personally that that's been great for me. And, you know, I have a number, I have an entrepreneur network of some people who are in the same industry and other people are in completely different industries and then people who are mentors and advisors and people and and you're right you kind of when i think about it you have groups of people you have people you go to for different things right who fill different needs and vice versa and it's it's tremendously rewarding and for me what's worked are people who i don't who aren't in my company who have a distance and nothing at stake for me so i can truly be yeah you know open with them and and get their perspective and vice versa so I do think, I think that's just a great strategy. It's good for business anyway, but I think it's becoming increasingly important to offset the sort of rapid change and chaos that some of us feel. Right. To have that, have people, I like your idea if you know, have an AI person you can go to when, when chat GPT can't give you the answers you need about the future. <laughs> right. So, you know, maybe I'll just ask you to end with, uh, by answering this question is, you know, in, are you more optimistic about the ability for leaders to have thriving, you know, healthy kind of relationships with work or more pessimistic than you were when you started your practice? I am in a constant state of awe and delight about how many leaders I bump up against who are really, really thoughtful about how to show up well in the midst of these challenges. So although I think our stress has gone up, I think our emotional intelligence is going up. I think our resilience is going up. Um, I think our sort of commitment to problem solving is going up. So, you know, I I run a little optimistic anyway. (laughs) That's how I showed up here. But, um, I, you know, I have teenage children and I look at my kids and I, I observe their awareness and interest and attunement in the problems around them and their creativity in how those problems get solved. So I do think that like big disruption is coming, but I do think that we've got some, some great minds and hearts who are paying attention. Uh, Some of them are my clients like you. (laughs) Well, and thanks, thanks to you, the tools you give, some of which, you know, we've talked about today, I, I've certainly found, you know, better resources to navigate this time. And, and you're right, you know, it is, it is a very exciting time. I mean, I think that's the flip side, right? For all of us as leaders, it's not predictable. You can learn and grow so much and you can totally redefine what you're doing. And I think that's the that's the light side of the challenges that we're facing. And with support from people like you, um, we can get there. So 
yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. And I know you do have a lot of support, whether it's um, for people, resources, access, people who want to learn more, what would you recommend consult? Yeah, I mean, I, my two books, I think are, are really summaries of the big thoughts that I have about, about these topics. I certainly, my podcast, I think is a helpful resource, really available and accessible. I mean, I also am kind of fun to follow on Instagram. <laughs> In addition to being a psychologist for entrepreneurs, I'm an amateur circus artist. Oh, wow. So I did not know like that about you. Psychology with your circus. Yeah, you didn't. That's surprising. But yep. So my TED talk is about the use of healing or the use of movement in healing. Hmm. And so I talk about integrating circus arts into healing for grief. Well, I I recently attended a circus movement workshop with my wife, who's a Pilates instructor. We did, you know, we learned to like be a bass or, you know, I I don't even know what I was doing, (laughs) but it was pretty amazing how. Sounds like you were doing some acro. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what it was. And, you know, by the end, the instructor was amazing. I couldn't believe the things we were doing. So, yeah, huge. uh, I I can see how you could get into it, but maybe with, with us, I'll just stick to the the coaching on mental mental management until <laughs> down the road. And I, I certainly would encourage anyone listening, pick up the books. They're on, you know, I read The Entrepreneur's Guide and it's valuable not just for entrepreneurs, but anyone who deals with some of the challenges that you're talking about. And I will pick up your book, Touching Two Worlds and Grief. So Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for all you're doing for me and, and more broadly for leaders today. My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Sherry Walling. As I mentioned in the pod, she's been a coach for me. She's really helped me as a leader, as an entrepreneur, get clear on the stresses that we all face as leaders and how to assess them and then some tools to cope with them. So I hope uh, the value that you got in listening is as great as I got uh, in having her work with me. And I would encourage you to subscribe to her pod, Zen Founder, and uh, pick up one of her new books. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. You'll recall that a few episodes back, I, I welcomed Alan Richardson from RBC to talk about RBC's decision to bring its employees back to the office more. Next time I'm joined on the pod by someone with a bit of a different perspective. I welcome Wayne Berger and Wayne is uh, head of the Americas for IWG. If you, you may not recognize the term, but it's, a, it's the company that owns co-working spaces like Regis and Spaces. They're huge, <laughs> they're everywhere, and they're growing rapidly. And Wayne talks to me about how work has fundamentally changed. Flexible work is, is just work. Why the commute is just the worst thing that anyone wants to deal with, and how leaders should start thinking about managing and engaging workforces in this new world. It's a great conversation. It's kind of an interesting both counterpoint and complementary point to my conversation with Alan with some surprising revelations. Uh, like, you'll never guess who the biggest users of co-working space are. So tune in next time on the pod. It's a great conversation with Wayne. Uh, in the meantime, please rate, review, promote the show. Uh, it helps us get found. So may all, and in the meantime, may all your conversations be inspiring.